0: Welcome to Ride Every Stride. This is episode 56.
1: Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship, and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I am here finally again with Master Horseman Van Hargis. How you doing, Van?
0: Laura, I am wonderful. I hope you're doing well. It just seems like it's been an absolute month and month, month of Sunday since we've talked last, and, and especially since we've done any, any recording. I know you and I text every once in a while, but it's been a month of Sundays at least, it seems, since we've done podcast recording.
1: It has. It's been at least 120 years. So, w- and I know we're gonna. T- <laughs> so I know we're gonna talk about where you've been and why it's been so long since we've been able to uh, get a new episode of Ride Every Stride together. So, you want to talk well, about that?
0: Well, absolutely. You know, it's uh, for anybody that's been around a TV or a radio, they've known that we had a we had a little bit of a storm down here in South Texas. It was a uh, What they call a hurricane. (laughs) It was uh, actually Hurricane Harvey. And it's funny, I'm not a big, huge James Stewart fan, but whenever I think of Harvey, I think of this big, giant white rabbit. And believe me, this hurricane was no white rabbit. That sucker was for serious. As you know, Laura, I'm from Northeast Texas. We're in tornado country up there. So I come down to South Texas and people would talk about hurricanes and, oh, you don't have to worry. We don't have that many hurricanes down here. And, And sure enough, I'm down here less than five years now, or right at six years. I guess it is getting close to it. And we have a hurricane developing off the shore. And before you know it, it reaches like a category four before it reaches us. And I was thinking no sweat, right? I mean, how bad could it be? A hurricane? How, how bad? It's just a bunch of wind and rain. I, <laughs> 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 Believe me.
1: I, <laughs> I, it's like lesson? one of those
0: comedians. Yeah, I think it's, kind, it's time to now to take those things a little bit more seriously. I, it's like a comedian said one time, it's not that the wind is blowing. It's what the wind is blowing. And I found that for real, because I mean, you'd look outside and you would literally see people's rooftops flying off, and you know, big sheets of tin flying through the air. And all I could say is, is that I guess the Lord was looking out for us because we had this absolute minimal damage where we were. And of course, there were tons of people down here in South Texas that had a lot of issues. For example, my college roommate was from Port Aransas, Texas, and we go down to help him out in his situation, and. Port Aransas, bless their hearts, they just got hammered so incredibly hard. I mean, actually, the center part of the storm came right over that area, and it was just, it was just devastating. I mean, I'd never seen damage like that. I, you know, I, up in our part of the world, we have tur- you know, tornado damage. You'll see a few houses and things like that that get hammered on, but not the extent. I mean, the entire southern coast of Texas was damaged in some way. And if anybody knows how big Texas is, that's a huge, huge area that was just torn up. And in some places were better than others, but it was just amazing how much damage was done. Well, for us, I mentioned like a little bit of the damage, you know, we had little damage to the house, a little bit of damage out to the ranch, but it was very minimal. The biggest thing for us, and one of the things that kept us from being able to record was the loss of power. We were without power for, I guess, about 10 days, which again, compared to some people, was incredibly lucky. But it did take them even longer still to get our internet service going. You know, of course, being out in the country where we are, we don't have any kind of landline type internet service. Everything is done either with satellite or through some sort of radio type form or whatever you would call that. So a lot of towers were damaged. And, of course, the satellites and whatnot that fed us were on a huge number of, of, at least they had options to put these satellites on these different towers, but they were all damaged. So we just had to kind of wait our turn before we could get, uh, we could get electricity and then, of course, our internet service back. So in a nutshell, for those who are listening to Ride Every Stride, that's kind of why we were at such a big delay. Uh, that and of course, our regular travel schedule. You know, we've been all over the country, it seems, Laura, since the last time we've talked. We've been to New York. We've been to Canada again. We've been, uh, out west. And then we just recently returned back from, uh, from British Columbia, Canada as well. So it's been a busy
1: time since the hurricane. Yeah, a lot going on. I mean, I'm, I was glad to hear that you, you guys didn't have much damage, but y- you really start to understand how dependent we become on modern conveniences like, oh, I don't know, electricity in the house and, <laughs> and, and you know, and internet uh, for, for what we do, because you're down there and I'm up here and our, our producer, John, is on the East Coast. If one of us doesn't have internet, the show's not happening.
0: Exactly, and you know, isn't it amazing what you mentioned there about electricity? You know, there were so many generators, and there were literally trucks of people hauling generators to South Texas. And luckily, we didn't have to purchase one. A friend of ours had an extra one, and we were able to kind of plug it in and get the essential things kind of going. We, uh, you know, our refrigerator was working. We didn't worry about hooking up the air conditioner or anything like that. So we just kind of had the the bare essentials. And it's very humbling to realize how dependent we've become on, you know, on what you referred to, the modern technology. And, and, you know, who would ever really think that we would consider electricity as a luxury item until you're without it? And then it's amazing how much how much your household and your lives are incredibly dependent on electricity. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but, you know, whenever we're without power, I laugh at myself how many times I walk around and hit a light switch. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, t- I touch it <laughs> I
1: it's touch no it at looking. least a hundred times.
0: Exactly. And that's the first thing I do. I hit the light switch and I look at the light bulb like, Hey, what's wrong? I guess we blew Oh darn, yeah, we're that we're that power. It's such a constant humbling reminder of how silly we can be and how dependent we are on such things.
1: Yeah. And it really, you know, maybe that falls a little bit into the category of of first world problems because we are so, so much in the United States and, you know, in all the developed countries, so used to being able to simply flip a switch and the power is there. We take it for granted. And then when it's not there, we realize just how... How much we rely on it and how kind of paralyzed we are in, in some ways without it and the habits we have of just taking that for granted. So I, I exactly. was glad. Yeah. I was glad to hear that you guys were all okay. We haven't talked about it, I guess, since it all happened, but. As the storm was moving in, John, um, our producer, and I were kind of messaging back and forth. And John was like, he says he's not going to evacuate. And I said, well, he's got a <laughs> lot of horses there. I'm not sure how he would evacuate all those horses. So maybe let's talk about that. Why, I mean, that question came up at the time for lots of people in Houston, for instance, and we know why they couldn't evacuate because there's one road out of that town and, and, you know, lots of reasons for that. From where you guys are, both for yourselves and for the animals that you're responsible for, what was the thinking about in in your house and on your ranch as the storm was approaching?
0: Well, the biggest concern for me was just i had no experience to base my decisions on and i had to i had to ask a lot of people that were from the area who had lived through and survived the last hurricanes which you know we don't have that many and when we do by the time they hit shore at least where we are by the time they hit here they dissipate very quickly you know there's the previous to this one there was a category 3 that hit several years ago and by the time that it came inland it had already decreased to Really nothing more than just a pretty darn good thunderstorm and and Lord knows again, Lark from you where you and I are from you know north Texas I'm used to thunderstorms. I just think nothing of them I don't run from a tornado until I see the darn thing. so down here it was uh it, it was just that waiting of you know when it was coming and because this was also a very slow moving storm, it seemed like we waited forever. so d- how we kind of prepared for it was I just began to move the horses. To areas that was going to be away from any shelters that I thought would even remotely get damaged by wind. I'm a big believer in letting horses kind of do their own thing, so I kind of wanted them out in the pens and not so much trapped in a in a stall barn, just in case something did happen to the roof and tin went to flying. I just I wanted the horses to have the ability to move away from potentially flying obstacles, and still that's not easy to do because you don't know exactly where it's going to come from, and in, and depending on and again, this is stuff I had to learn the hard way here through this experience. Depending on when the storm hits and where you are in relationship to how it spins, you're liable to have winds from one direction one day, and then a few hours later or the, or the next day, winds from the opposite direction. And because of this storm moving so slowly, that's exactly what we had to contend with. The winds were coming from one direction for a few hours, and then a few hours later, the, they were literally coming from the opposite direction. And It was just as that as the tornado was, or I'm sorry, as the hurricane was spinning around us and moving. The wind just happened to hit us at a different different place each time. And of course, the the rains were horrific. Now, what we did is well, I began to start communicating very quickly with my with my customers that had horses on the facility. And you know, it's up to you guys. You want to come pick your horse up. It might be better if you're further inland. So the inland customers had that option. Uh, we did have one customer take their horse a little bit further inland. Crazy thing was they had tremendous amount of uh, rain where they were. I don't know if they were any better off than what we were, but it's just a, it was just a decision that they, they needed to make, and they felt more comfortable having their horse in their hands rather than, than here at the ranch because we were considerably further south than what they were. Other customers decided to leave them in my hands, which I appreciate the fact that they trusted me to to handle their horses in that situation. Looking back on it, because of me worrying so much about their horses, I kind of wished I would have encouraged more clients to come and evacuate, come and take their horses. Because, I mean, it was a tremendous amount of worry and stress on me because of my lack of experience in that situation. I was very concerned and very worried about the fact that they were other people's horses and not just mine. So I, I told John, our, our producer, just previous to us recording, Laura, that I, I really didn't know what else to do. Once we realized the horses were going to stay on the ranch, I just tried to make sure that they were. You know, away from structure as much as we could. I tried to make sure they had an abundance of hay uh, just in case something came up and I wasn't going to be able to make it back out to the ranch. So I wanted to make sure the horses had plenty of grass and plenty of hay. I made sure that all the waterers that were outdoor, that they were all full so that in case the power got shut off, because most of our waterers, even outdoors, are on a well system, and we rely on the well to pump up water to them. So we made sure that all the waterers were completely full, just just in case the the rain stopped. I just wanted to make sure that the horses had plenty to drink, plenty to eat. And in fact, because of where the ranch is, we were on high ground. But what was odd was that the roads to the ranch were subject to flooding. So there was actually one day where I had to have my wife take me up so far, And let me out, and I had to walk a mile into the rest of the ranch just to check on the horses. And luckily, I got there, and everybody, heck, the way the horses acted, there was no big deal. You know, you you couldn't tell by the horses that there had been any kind of storm or anything that had occurred. But it felt good to me to be able to walk in and and check on everybody to make sure everybody was okay. And and luckily, they were, and it felt really good by the time I got back home, and I could call the clients and and text the clients to let everybody know that their horses were okay and that everybody survived. My advice to people in the future is when you have that much notice that a storm is coming in is to probably consider evacuation. I'm not, I'm not saying we did anything heroic by staying, and I don't necessarily regret my decision for staying in the least. But if I could if I could probably redo it, I would probably encourage my customers to come get their horses and take them inland. For me, I would be quite happy to leave my horses there. But uh, – when that opportunity arises to evacuate, I think that's the wiser of the decisions. I, I definitely think we got lucky, quite frankly, uh, when you consider some of the things that happened with some of the other folks. And some of the stories, quite frankly, Laura, were, were pretty horrific. For example, one of the things that worried me the most, and, and again, we wouldn't have to worry about where our ranch is located because we are on fairly high ground, but I, there's something I want folks to consider that yes, horses and cattle can handle themselves quite well in situations like that, except for the fact that that we surround them with man-made structures. And what I'm referring to here is fencing. I heard so many horrific stories about horses and cattle that were trying to move either through really high water through swimming or in some cases just kind of walking in chest deep water or higher on how to get from point A to point B. And all they were doing was looking for higher ground. And they got hung up in fences that they couldn't see because the fences were either underwater or they had been laid over a little bit by by moving water so the animals didn't know the fences were there because they're very visual aren't they they don't necessarily go by memory i don't you know and besides even if they did go by memory nothing looks the same you know when when they're in knee deep water and you can't see the fences and you can't see the normal visual aids that we were that we rely on to to motivate from one place to the next so, we heard some pretty horrible stories of horses and livestock getting getting hung in fences, and even though they might have survived, they had really bad cuts and damage to them so again, I would just recommend if, if flooding hurricanes those types of things are in the prediction, and you've got plenty of time to to prepare one thing I would strongly encourage people to do would, would be to evacuate to much much higher ground
1: well and in this case in the case of hurricane harvey, there was quite a bit of advance notice because as you pointed out it was moving so slowly that it took you know everybody had lots of advance notice that it was coming not so much notice of how severe it would be when it hit land where exactly it was going to hit but you know we all everybody in the country i think knew it was coming because it was dominating the news during the the couple of days leading up to it uh, but a lot of times storms come in and in certain parts of the country they'll come in faster than that. And either way, if you decide not to evacuate or you you can't evacuate, you've talked about some of the preparation for the horses in terms of making sure they have food if you, to last them if you can't get out there for a while, making sure their waterers are filled. What else? I mean, what can be done about this issue about fences that get covered by floodwaters or something like that? Is there any way to prepare for that sort of danger?
0: I really don't think there is any way to really prepare for that. I mean, you're not going to be able to move the fences. Uh, So our big thing there, as far as preparation would go, in my opinion, would just to make sure that your horses or your livestock, that you don't want to run the risk of getting caught in fences or swept through running water, is you just have to ensure that they're going to be on higher ground. And the good thing is, is that, for example, the fire departments, and at least here in the Victoria area, in the South Texas area, I was absolutely amazed at how... Things that I wouldn't even begin to think about and how much information is available. For example, the fire departments and the weather bureau in this area, they knew exactly where the high land would be and how high water would have to get before that land would be threatened. So my my concern would be if you've got a neighbor that's got a ranch on a hill, then by golly, go move your horses to there. And, and, and yeah, you, you may not necessarily be protected by the winds, but at least your horses would be protected by the aftermath, of course, the flooding. And the flooding usually lasts a lot longer, in days in some cases, than do the winds, which happen very quickly and they're, they're done, the damage is over. But the water is what usually follows after the fact. And I think that's very indicative and, and I, th- I think there's truth to that, just by the evidence that we've seen in Houston. Long after the winds were gone, the water continued to rise, and, uh, you know, and that, that area was absolutely devastated with floodwaters, but yet the storm had been gone for a couple of days, so it was that water coming to them, which would be another thing I'd want people to do is just make sure that when they do prepare their horses, don't move them back to low ground too quickly. Make sure that the coast is clear. Tune in to your weather bureaus. Tune in to your fire. De- and the reason I say fire departments, I guess they have really good ways of communicating because I know the fire department down here was very good about posting things on the Internet as to, you know, what the high ground was and, you know, where people could evacuate to if they needed to. So there's so much information out there. And I would just I would tend to to, to really encourage people to follow the advice of those who have gone through it. Yes, they it sometimes it may seem as if they're being too cautious? But man, wouldn't it be good to be too cautious than to be too sorry? <laughs> you know, there's not a, not very many ways we can undo things after the damage has been caused.
1: Yeah, one of one of the things that I thought was interesting in the time leading up to that storm and then after it hit was the the network of people who came forward to help and I mean, obviously we, we know about the first responders, the fire department, the police, the, the different people that come to help. But one of the things I noticed from clear up here in North Texas was the number of people up here and uh, between here and where you are who were reaching out to horse people down in, in your area saying, I've got room for three horses on my property. If you want to bring them here, I've got, right. you know, I, I've got a trailer. I'll come and get you. Or, you know, I, I can put, I've got pasture here, I've got a barn here. If people are in a situation where their area is in the line of fire, so to speak, horse people like to help other horse people. And so there's probably a network of people available if you want to evacuate, as you've mentioned, but don't have somewhere to go. Uh, there's probably a way to find somebody who's willing to help.
0: Well, that's exactly right. And we had a number of people calling us and literally from all over the country. And I I appreciate it, but I'm not going to haul my horse up to Michigan, you know, just to get out (laughs) of the tornado, but I appreciate the invite. (laughs) We, we had, we did, we had just a huge number of people reaching out to us and man, are you sure you're going to ride this thing out? You know, can we come help you move horses? And, and honestly, had the ranch not been on high ground and, or if we would have been in an area where there were a tremendous number of buildings around us, then there was no doubt in my mind I would have made the decision to move not just my horses, but all the client horses as well. But because of the situation, the way the ranch is situated, there's very few buildings in the area. We had very few trees that I had to worry about because that's that's another thing, too, about South Texas, Miss Laura. I learned there's no trees down here, (laughs) (laughs) which is a good thing, I guess, (laughs) when the
1: storm's blowing through. (laughs) Right.
0: It's like what people refer to as a tree. I'm going, you call that a, yeah, okay, that's a tree. It's 10, 12 feet tall. I'm, I'm used to East Texas where even our oak trees are huge, right? I'm just so used to these big giant trees. And when those things fall, it causes lots and lots of damage. And it's not that there's not big trees down here. It's just that they're usually on the rivers or on the creek banks and they're just not out. Everywhere, like what we're used to up in the North Texas area and other parts of the United States. So, th- because of the fact that we're we had no big trees, there was no real debris issues. That was my biggest concern. Because I mean, I joked around a little while ago when I made that comment about the comedian that said, "It's not that the wind is blowing; it's what the wind is blowing." And that's what I was really concerned about. Is that okay? The wind is going to blow. We know that. We know we're going to have winds at least seventy-five miles an hour and sustained winds of seventy-five miles an hour are faster. So. What can be blown away and what sort of damage can that cause? How badly might that scare a horse if it's blowing through the pasture? And there just wasn't that much to be concerned about at our facility. However, that's something that you do have to consider when you're at other facilities. And that's where the community that you're referring to is so grand because they do. They reach out and and try to help people and move horses from point A to point B. And it's only going to be for a few days. Sure, it's inconvenient to displace those animals, but at the same time, it's better to be a little inconvenience than to have to replace those animals that are so, so dear to us. But, um, and you know, and here's, there's another thing too, on the follow-up side of that, I think it's extremely important for us humans, as well as for our animals, that as soon as you can get back to your regular routine to seek that out, get back to things being normal as quickly as possible. You know, it makes really good coffee shop, you know, conversation to visit a little bit about it. But at the same time, it's, in my opinion, it's just really good to get things back to normal for both for ourselves as well as our horses. You know, just accept the fact that something devastating just happened. Look at, look at and for all the positive things that you can, you can remember and you can learn from that experience and move forward. For example, I'm in a way, and I don't want people that have lost everything to to bombard me here with hate emails, but I'm really grateful that I had an opportunity to experience this because now I feel much more prepared when someone asked me later what I might do in a situation like this, because the, I, I I know what it's like now. I've experienced it. Up north, it was easy for me to tell people different ideas toward handling tornadoes. Lord knows we lived through enough. I mean, two hit my ranch, two tornadoes within within five years up there in Sulphur Springs, Texas. So having those experiences. Puts me in a situation to where I can better communicate with people about those experiences and hopefully help them make better decisions for both themselves as well as their animals. So yeah, I'm kind of glad I experienced it down here and and it, it, uh, and I'm so grateful that it worked out as good as it did because it could have been a lot worse.
1: Yeah. So do you recommend that people who have animals, you know, horses, livestock, whatever, that they have a, I don't know, a plan in place for, the sort of disaster preparedness, like people talk about for us in our homes.
0: Well, actually, yeah, I think it's a great idea that we, and you know, and this is the crazy part, isn't it? It's it's one of those things that we always say that we're going to do. Yeah, we're going to plan ahead. We're, we're going to be prepared next time. And then we wait until the next time is approaching us before we actually do take those steps to prepare. But it doesn't. it's not a bad idea now to keep I – mean, for example, all the people that reached out to me that were within about a 20-mile radius and then the same ones that reached out to me in about a 30 to 40-mile radius, we kept those contacts of everybody that was north of us of about 20 to 50 miles. And I thought, okay, how close are they? What are their facilities like? So that I know now that I can reach out to those people in situations that to where we need to evacuate if, if that need ever rises again. The other thing that I also want to to mention that we didn't touch base on though is that there's also a tremendous number of public facilities. For example, just north of us is a is a facility in Hallettsville that it's a it's a public facility, huge, big, nice indoor arena. They've got I think 300 plus stalls at their facility. They open that up to people to come to during this storm. And granted, it's only about 40 miles north of where we are here. But again, it would—it's on high ground. It would get people up and away from, you know, the the biggest damage. You know, at least the, the potential damaged areas that we that we were down here in South Texas. So those are the things that we have to keep in mind: is that have keep notes of those places, keep notes of those people who offer you opportunities to evacuate, and, and that your horses would be welcome at their facility. Stay in contact with them, and especially us when it when it comes hurricane season next season. I'm going to reflect back on those. I'm going to pull out my little hurricane folder just in case so that I've got it ready and available just in case that we need to evacuate. And who knows? Sometimes we might do it just for the sake of doing it in practice. It's never going to hurt the horses to load up on a trailer and go somewhere. I I would encourage other people to do the same thing. Just think about the potential hazards in your area. For example, John and I were talking recently about we just returned back from British Columbia and... Those guys were so thankful for the heavy rains that they had been receiving over the last few weeks because just a few weeks ago, they were devastated with forest fires and tons and tons of land up there were being damaged and horse barns and homes were having to be evacuated. So although they might not have to worry about the hurricane situation, there are hazards in their area that they do have to be concerned about. So I think all of us owe it to ourselves and to our horses to have those plans in place long before the situation occurs. And then practice, you know, practice makes perfect or perfect practice makes perfect. So it doesn't hurt to be prepared and to practice every once in a while.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great reminder to at least give some thought to, you know, whatever is the potential natural disaster in your area. What would you do if it happened? Where would you go? What supplies would you need to have on hand if you decided not to go anywhere, you know, whether it's a, you know, kind of a first aid kit for your horses and for the people and extra batteries for your phone or or whatever, you know, extra hay and, and that sort of thing, but to at least give some thought to it, because no matter where you live in the country or in the world for that matter, there is some... Potential for some sort of natural disaster that could put you in a position where you need to execute on some sort of plan. And so having thought about it ahead of time is going to be a big help if and when that time ever comes.
0: Well, you you touched on the first aid thing, but you know one thing we learned down here, though, Laura, was that even though we had a generator for our house, we weren't necessarily worried about electricity here. But what if we would have ran out of horse feed because... Had we not prepared far enough in advance, and if we would have run out of horse feed, the feed stores in the surrounding areas Quero, victoria um I don't know how far other than that, but the cities themselves were without electricity, so the feed stores yeah. couldn't open, and in fact, a lot of the stores in victoria were they uh not quarantined them but they they were uh they were kind of forced to stay closed they had um there was a curfew in this in the town. So there were some businesses in some areas that were restricted altogether because there was no electricity. There was no reason for anybody to be on the streets. So in that case, what if we would have ran out of feed had we not been prepared? We would have, our horses would have had to have done without, with nothing more than just the hay that we provided for them. So there's there's those types of things that we have to think of that, even though your place might shut down, but what if the places around you shut down? So we've got to be very prepared for those types of situations. Now, luckily for us, again, we we buy feed by the ton, so we had lots and lots of it. But I thought about that one day because I thought, "Ew, let's run up to the feed. Oh, we can't go to the feed store. Even though we didn't need feed, we we're just going to go up there to visit and say hi and and to get a few little supply type things and just to see how they how they weathered the storm." We get up there to town, we realize, "Oh, it's closed. Oh, that's right, they don't have electricity." So. You know, those are the things we have to consider as well. But, you know, in the long run, I, I again, looking back, what a great experience. You know, I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I'm glad I went through it. I'm glad that we, that we survived it. I'm glad the horses made it through with, with zero concerns. Everything was very fortunate, uh, happened very fortunately out there. But, you know, because of that experience, I feel much better prepared now, Laura. I really do.
1: Well, and you, it, it, uh, I guess it gives you some thoughts to share with other people as you're traveling around and, Doing expos and clinics, it brings up a good topic of conversation to help other people maybe think about that, uh, what what they would do in a circumstance like that, and how they might prepare. I'm sure we may talk about it again in the future, but I would encourage anybody who's listening who's got questions about this to to send those questions, whether to email them to you at info at vanhargus.com. Or, you know, maybe share their experiences with, with a, a similar kind of situation, how they prepared or how they wish they had prepared. It'd be great to see those kinds of stories maybe on the Facebook page, the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page where people can share their experiences and, and get advice and ideas from other people. What else? Van, we haven't talked in so long about kind of what you're doing. You've mentioned earlier on in the episode that uh, you've been traveling a lot this summer. As we're talking now, it's getting toward the end of October. What's on the horizon for you?
0: Well, we've got one more major horse expo coming up this year, and um, it is the largest one in the country. It's in West Springfield, Massachusetts, and of course, it's called the Equine Affair. It's a four-day event, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Laura, the last time I went to this event, I got an email after the fact, after the event, and they had broke 80,000 people over a four-day period. 80,000 people went through their gates during that four-day time. That was prior to the economy crashing. It was several, several years ago. But um, we're really looking forward to that event. And and, 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 man, it wouldn't be awesome. I'd be tickled to death if there was 80,000 people there again, because the last time I just had a blast with that many people. I mean, You know me, the more people, the merrier. I just love it. I love those. It's crazy. I I was talking about this the other day. Whenever I'm at home, I love to be at home. I could be a recluse at home. But whenever I go somewhere, I really love to, to be with the people. And the larger the crowd, the better I like it. It's something about the energy of the crowd that that uh, brings out jokes that I didn't know I knew. Um, (laughs) So it it brings up a whole different type of energy for me, and I really enjoy that. So that's why one of the reasons I look really forward to the Equine Affair, because every presentation that you do, there's just a huge number of people, and they're all there for one common reason. They're there because they want to learn. They want to learn about their horses. They want to learn more about themselves. So it's just a perfect environment for me. I'm looking... So forward to that one, Laura. But that's going to be our last one of this season. And um, and then I think we've got one more clinic that we're going to be doing. And we, everybody that's interested in those, they can find out more details, of course, on our website, uh, vanhargis.com. If they would like more specific information, they can just email us. And you mentioned it a moment ago at info at com. We'd be more than happy to get back to them about uh, the types of presentations that we're doing uh, and the types of clinics that we're doing. And of course like you mentioned Laura, we are always encouraging people to reach out to us to book clinics. All we need, we get asked this question all the time, are you going to be doing a clinic in Iowa? Are you going to be doing a clinic in Florida? When are you going to be doing a clinic in wherever? I get that question a lot and the answer is just really simple. If you would like a clinic in your area, all you have to do is reach out to us. We will, we love to go to new venues and we love to do clinics in new areas. All we need to know is where you want us to do it, and, and we can help you with all the steps on how to organize it, promote it. And Laura, as you know from your experience with us, we always make it to where the host of the clinic gets a tremendous amount of value out of hosting us. We we share a lot of the would, would-be income from the clinic, we share that with our host. So we really encourage them to contact us about the details on how they can host clinics. And uh, and of course, we like I said, we just absolutely love to do it. So we'd encourage people to go to our website and check out that clinic hosting package.
1: Well, there you have it. There's uh, tons of information always available on the website at vanhargus.com Not hard to remember. You can find the store there. You can find Van's calendar there. And you can find ways to reach out to Van and his team for more information about where he's going to be and how you can participate in the things that he's doing. Anything else before we wrap this one up? Other than I I do want to say I am really glad that you and yours were safe through the storm. And it's nice to have you back online and, and talking about horsemanship again.
0: Well, Laura, you don't know how much we appreciate that sentiment, and the same for the folks that have sent us messages literally from all over the world, and it's just been amazing. And I appreciate everybody's patience as well. We've had so many people reaching out to us asking when we're going to put a new episode on and when we're going to be recording – Uh, new episodes for for Ride Every Stride. And that really makes you feel good when you realize that people are kind of wanting new information out there. They enjoy the podcast. So it's really glad. I mean, I'm really glad to be back on air and it's really good to be recording again. I'm so appreciative for you and John for sticking with us on this because it's like like you mentioned earlier, it's been a while since we've been able to record. So I really appreciate you guys kind of hanging in there waiting so patiently for us to kind of get rolling again. Thanks a lot.
1: It's good to be back.
0: Good deal. Laura. before we close, I want to remind everybody, we still have the Top Pan Club, and it's rocking and rolling. We, we were able to record several more things for it, at least, um, even though we weren't able to do podcasting because it required the Internet. All we needed for the camera, by golly, was just batteries. So we, we were able to post a lot more videos on the Top Pan Club. And for those of you who don't know, the Top Pan Club is a club that you can go to for a very minimal fee. You can pay a monthly fee. And you have access to a huge number of our training videos. Those videos are usually very condensed. They're four minutes to I think the longest one we've got on there is about 13 minutes. They're very specific. In other words, they'll be on a very, very specific topic. There's no fluff. It just gets right straight to the meat and potatoes of the question. And uh, and it's pretty much an endless library. I mean, somebody would really have to purge LAR for a very, very long time to watch all the videos that are on there now. And then, of course, we're adding videos almost on a daily basis. Every time we go to a horse expo, we're filming all of those. Uh, we're filming usually almost on a daily basis at the ranch. So, again, for a very nominal fee, they can go to the website, click on the Top Pan Club, and become a member and have access to of that endless video library as well as other things such as discounts on all of our Van Hargis products and discounts to our clinics as well. So all they have to do to be a member is just go and click on the top hand club icon on our website and they can find out more information on there and and hopefully sign up and start taking advantage of the values that we offer there. So, Laura, with that said, I guess we could just say I want to thank everybody for their listeners. And and I want to, of course, thank you and John again for all the help that you guys do to kind of help this program going. And for those listeners out there listening, I don't want to remind them that until next time, remember, it's your ride. It's your trail. It's your journey. So ride every stride.